Thank you so much. Thank you. What a privilege to bless the Lord. Thank you. You know, sometimes I don't think we have a choir here. We just have a gigantic praise team. <laughs> and I am grateful for that. Thank you so much. And so wonderful. The testimonies we've heard this morning. Great to have Rode with us and also to have Carmen with us. And I do hope that we will generously give. And I, I think they said it would be 20000 But I know you're going to give 25000 Okay, so... <laughs> just... You know, for me, in many ways, it's a special time of year. Of course, Valentine's Day. It's a great opportunity... Thank God for uh, Valentine of mine, Susan, for all these years together. But it's also a special time of year because I have, in a week span, I have two birthdays. Two birthdays. You know, it's important to have two birthdays. If you have two birthdays, you only die once. If you have one birthday, you die twice. Two birthdays. Now, tomorrow is my physical birthday. Tomorrow's my birthday. And uh, I, thank you very much. I've, re I've, received, uh, I've received some notes and I've received some good wishes and cards. And uh, that's great. I didn't expect a federal holiday. That did catch me <laughs> off guard. I just, you know, I mean, you know, really. <laughs> so uh, that was, that's nice. But tomorrow's my birthday. But last Monday, February 12th, my spiritual birthday, spiritual birthday, February 12th, and it was my 50th spiritual birthday last Monday, because on February 12th, Sunday night, 1974, God in His grace saved me, and uh, Thank God for that amazing, amazing grace that he showed to me. But there was a man that had a, great, a significant part of that. Uh, there was a man who came to our church in Indiana, and he was uh, helping as somewhat of an assistant pastor. First, first man, really, as a pastor that I knew, just taught the word of God to us. Uh, he didn't get behind the pulpit, uh, uh, take a text and depart therefrom and never return thereto, okay? And you knew our pastor was really preaching when the handkerchief came out, you know, to wipe his mouth. But this man was different. He was a printer by trade. Remember, he had his ink on his fingers all the time. His name was Leonard Dice. Call, call him Brother Dice. And he started to work with us as teenagers. I want to tell you, you've never seen such a ragtag bunch of kids in your life. I mean, uh, you know, it was just, it was a rough crowd. <laughs> but he just taught us the Word of God, taught us the Word of God. And his teaching really brought that conviction. And so 
as I was celebrating this 50th birthday, I thought, you know, I've got to see if I can get a hold of him. So I started a search and looking and looking. Finally got a number uh, in Pittsfield, Illinois, okay? And I was able to give Pastor Dice a call. And he's 91 years of age. And uh, pray for him, incredible brother. He has uh, a cancer that is in bone marrow. In the, uh, but uh, his mind's still sharp. And we talked for 50 minutes. And I was just able to thank him for all that he had meant to me and to my mom and dad. He eventually started a church in another small town. My, my mom and dad drove many miles to be a part of that. Uh, he spoke at my ordination in 1982. He came here, spoke at my father's funeral in 1998. He's just been a very important in our family. And it was just incredible joy to share with him and, and tell him what he meant to me and our family and to Susan because Susan was in that youth group as well. And a couple of weeks later, after I came to know Christ, she went to him and she said, whatever he got is what I need. <laughs> and she came to the Lord. We were baptized the same night together. So it's been really a huge part of our life, his ministry. But I remember some things he challenged us. He challenged us that to make sure that as we lived our lives, we live our lives for an audience of one. And he told us that we need to live our life for God and follow his word. And that resonated with me. And so I remember because of him, I personally decided you know, to... With God's help and determination and grace and to listen to the king and attempt to follow the king these 50 years. Today, we're coming to the close of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. And we're not going to hear a word from Jesus because he's done. The king has finished speaking. He has spoken as a king. He's spoken royally. And he calls the people to a king-sized response. And that's what I'd like you to think about with me today for a few minutes. A king-sized response to the king. And it's just two verses of scripture. If you have your copy, would you, if you are able, please stand with me just for a moment. Matthew chapter 7, final statement about the Sermon on the Mount written by Matthew years later, but given by the Holy Spirit's inspiration. Verse 28, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Father, let King Jesus 
by the Spirit be heard today. May we hear the King's voice. And Lord, by your grace, give us a response worthy of the King. A King-sized response. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. May be seated. Now, this is a message like no other. There's no message ever shared like Jesus' message that we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And I want us to consider today, I want us to consider its dimensions. And most of all, consider our response. Now, first of all, I want us to make sure we recognize that this is a king-sized message because it comes from the king. It's a king-sized message. Just think about the dimensions of what Jesus has said in these three chapters. Think of the king-sized impact of Jesus' words. What an impact his words had. I mean, there's thousands of people. There's thousands. It doesn't say the crowd. It says the crowds. Did you notice that? Thousands of people on that hillside. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. The English Standard Version translates the Greek word here, astonished. It's a very strong word. <laughs> the scholars of the Greek language tell us that it means literally to strike with astonishment. It means to be stricken with astonishment. And the, the, the verb that Matthew uses here is present tense, but it's imperfect. The imperfect present. It's in the passive voice. And it means literally this. They continued to be astonished. It's not just a moment. They are literally the closest thing we could say. They stood dumbfounded. Silence like that. But over thousands of people. They stood dumbfounded. Jesus' impact on so many was like this throughout his ministry. This was not the only time Jesus had this kind of impact on people. You remember, if you read in John, one time when Jesus came to Jerusalem, the high priest just decided it was time to have him arrested. And so he sent some guards to have Jesus arrested right in the city. <laughs> and he waited. It wasn't long till the soldiers came back, but they didn't have Jesus with them. And, they, and he said, where is, where is he? And they said, no man ever spoke like this man. <laughs> 
His, his words were so powerful. His message was so powerful. His enemies could do nothing. You remember in Gethsemane? Even as they were coming to arrest him? He said, who are you seeking? They said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. And they fell down. Jesus had king-size impact in his words. No man ever spoke like this. Now, why, is it so, why are his words so impactful? We have to ask ourselves today. Many of us are so familiar. We could quote large sections of this, some of us. But we need to go back to that Galilean hillside. We need to ask ourselves, why were his words so impactful that thousands of people stood dumbfounded by what he said. Well, it's because he spoke with king-sized authority. King-sized authority. Verse 29 says why they were dumbfounded. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The key is he was teaching as one who had authority, meaning he's possessing the authority. See, the other rabbis and the the scribes throughout the land and for generations, they always cited other rabbis and other scribes as their authority. They spoke by authority, by the authority of someone else. They spoke with a delegated authority, not Jesus. He didn't speak with delegated authority. He spoke with inherent authority. He spoke with authority. The authority was his own. You see, Jesus, when he spoke, he did not speak as an interpreter of the law. He spoke as the lawgiver himself. No one ever spoke like this. Jesus did not even speak as a prophet. Now, he's called a prophet from time to time, but he didn't speak as a prophet that says, thus says the Lord. Not one time in this message does Jesus say, Thus says the Lord. He doesn't speak as a prophet. He speaks as the Lord himself. I say to you. When I speak, the Lord is speaking. (laughs) That's what he said. Jesus spoke with king-sized authority because he spoke out of his king-sized identity. You see, Jesus spoke with authority not just to take on the attitude of authority. He spoke with authority because of his identity, who he really was and is. Just think back over these chapters. Who does Jesus say that he is? Not necessarily explicitly, but by the clearest inference and understanding, unmistakably, Jesus spoke as this. He spoke as the eternal son. He said he's my father. He spoke as the absolute lawgiver. Seven times he said, 
you have heard it said, but I say to you. He spoke as the prince of peace. He said, if you will listen to me and follow me, you'll not be anxious. You'll trust the Father just like the birds. You'll have confidence in your needs just like the the lilies of the field being clothed. He spoke as the final judge. He didn't just warn these people, you're you're going to go to the judgment someday. He said, I will be the one to whom you give an account. I am the judge. And then he said, I'm the Lord of glory because many of you are going to say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do these things? Jesus is speaking with king-sized authority because he is the king. The king has come. Not someone sent on behalf of God. God has come to speak. He is the word. The one who said, let there be light is now speaking on earth. This is who Jesus is speaking at. Jesus spoke like this, not just in this message, but throughout all of his ministry. And he left no doubt that he was the only one who could speak with this kind of authority. Remember what Matthew said in writing Recalling what Jesus would say. It's found in chapter 11, verse 27. Here's what Jesus said. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except by the Father. Except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. There's no way to God, He says. There's no way to know God except through me. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, friend, listen to me carefully, church. There are many teachers today. There are many philosophers today. There are many professors today with a string of PhDs. There are many influencers on social media. There are even many ministers, so-called, who will tell you there are many ways to God, but that's not what Jesus said. He was as clear as human speech could be. No one comes to the Father except by me. That's what Jesus said. I am the only way. I am the only one. That's the historical Jesus. There's only three options when it comes to Jesus. Make sure you understand this. There's only three options. 
It's been referred to as the great trilemma. (laughs) What's your options when you are confronted by Jesus' words and the record of his life? What are your three options? This is all your options. This is all you have. Number one, Jesus is either a liar because he said these things about himself and he knew they were not true. He said he was going to die on a cross and rise from the dead and he knew he couldn't do it. He's a liar. Forget about his noble teaching. Forget about what a good person he was. He's not good if he's a liar. Or you could say he's a lunatic. He talked about himself like this and he actually thought he was like this. He said he would die on the cross And on the third day, he would rise from the dead. He actually thought he could do it, but he he couldn't do it. So he's a lunatic. But friend, there's another response. He said these things about himself. He spoke truthfully. He said he would bring you to the Father. He said he would die on the cross for your sins. He said he would be buried in a borrowed tomb. He said he would rise the third day. And he did it. And so he's not a liar. He's not a lunatic. He is the Lord. And that's your three options. That's your three options. My friend, do not deceive yourself. Jesus is either Lord Or he is a liar or a lunatic and we are most people to be pitied sitting here on Sunday morning singing to him, worshiping him. But friend, Christ is risen from the dead. He is the Lord of glory. Death could not hold him. He accomplished his purpose. And he said, through me, you can reach the Father. He leads us all the way. Now, friend, those are our options. That's what Jesus said. Those are our options. So that leads us, listen, it leads us all here this morning, all who watch. It leads us to need to very carefully, prayerfully consider our king-sized response. Our king-sized response. Jesus spoke as the true king of glory. (laughs) But make sure you understand this. That's the reason he spoke as the king who is good. He's the king of glory. And because he's king of glory, he's good. Why? Because the Lord is good and he does good. He's a good God. There's goodness in the heart of God. Goodness and kindness in the heart of Jesus. That's who the king is. He's a good king. My friend, what selfish, self-focused leaders we have today. Consumed with self-focus, selfishness. Rampant through all the parties of this great nation. Selfish, self-focused leaders 
who seek to possess power for themselves or to hold on to power for themselves. They serve themselves for the most part. Not King Jesus. He has all authority. He possesses all authority. He came with all authority. For what purpose? To selfishly, selflessly serve others. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. That's our king. He didn't come to make slaves. He came to set slaves free. He possesses all authority. All the kings of the earth are as nothing before him. He has all authority and in his heart, he's good. He's good. He's a good king. Our king, his great heart beats for our good. Thank God his heart stopped beating on that Friday, right? But it started beating again on Sunday morning. It was beating with love while he walked this earth. And when he rose from the dead, it was beating with love still. Why? Because he's good. Because he's good, he offers king-sized opportunities. King-sized opportunities. How did did the king begin this sermon? How did he begin talking about his kingdom? He talked about words of what? Cursing? No. Blessing. The Beatitudes, right? He talked about blessing people. The blessing of a fulfilled life. He talked about the blessing of joy. The blessing of abundant life. The blessing of a fruitful life. All those things mean blessed. Fulfilled. Joyful. Abundant. Fruitful. Look back over these three chapters. What is it that our king has offered? He has offered us the blessed life. The blessed life. What is the best life? The best life is the blessed life. The blessed life is what? Jesus tells us what it is. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's comfort for those who mourn. It's an inheritance for those who are meek. It is satisfaction for those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. It is mercy for people who need mercy. It is a vision of God. You will know God. You will see God. It is a life of peace and you become a peacemaker. It is a life of an inheritance so that you become Light and salt in this world. You're you're not part of the problem anymore. You're reflecting Him. You're light and salt in a dark place. You bring glory to the Father. Now through Him, your life matters to God and it pleases God as you stumble along following His Son. 
You have freedom to serve. You're not in bondage anymore. You have freedom to serve and you serve the Lord. And serving the Lord is freedom. Serving yourself is slavery. You have the freedom to forgive others. Because you've been forgiven. And forgiving others, you release yourself. You have the incredible life of talking to God and knowing He's your Father and He's listening. And He answers. And He provides for your needs. And He's a God who will see you not only in this life, in this kingdom, but He'll take you to the gates of splendor. What a king we serve. Let me bear witness, my friends. I have served him 50 years. 50 years he has been my shepherd. 50 years I have failed him so much. I've stumbled and he has picked me up. 50 years. And I look back and what do I see? Goodness and mercy has followed me all the days of my life. And the best is yet to come. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know how many days are left to me. But there is coming a day when there will be no more night. coming for you too. What a kind king King Jesus is. How can we turn him in in our warped thinking into this greedy dictator who will rob us of great experiences My friend, what could be greater than knowing the God of heaven and earth? What could be greater than being a disciple of the king? What could be greater than being a brother or sister to the king of kings and lord of lords? What could be better than being a child of the father? What could be better than to reign and rule with him throughout the ages? You say, Sam, I think you're dreaming. Well, then don't wake me up. <laughs> I, listen, I'm just reading the Bible. Amen. If I'm a fool, I'll be a fool for Christ's sake. Amen. My friends, we have king-sized opportunity. But that begins with a king-sized responsibility. It's interesting here, if you look at chapter 7, verse 28, we are told the audience's reaction. They, they were astonished. They were dumbfounded. We're, we're told their reaction, but we're not told their response. See, reaction and response are not the same. Reaction passes. In a moment or in time, response 
is how you live according to that action that took place in your heart. We're not told to respond. But my friend, listen for, for a minute. For them, it was judgment day. Not the judgment day, but Jesus without prevarication, without any kind of lack of clarity, said who he was, what he would do, who they could be, where they were headed if they followed him, where they were going if they didn't. And now, it's decision day. This is the king speaking. This is the king's speech. And this king's speech, he had no impediment. Very clear. There's no place for indecision. To say, well, I'll wait. I'll think about it. I'm, I'm not ready to make a decision. That is a decision. Amen. Jesus here is drawing a line of demarcation. A line of demarcation. One side of him and the other side of him. Just as it says at the judgment. Those on the left will go away into everlasting destruction. Those on the right, into life eternal. On the left and the right, divided by whom? Jesus. His left. His right. He's, he's the line of demarcation. He is, listen, He is the crisis this is the crisis of the Christ. Jesus makes himself the crisis. He demands that people respond. He is the crisis. He's your crisis, my crisis. The crisis of the Christ is determined by two questions. One question from the king, one question about the king. And your answer to these two questions. What are these two questions? They're, they're personal questions. So for just for a moment, as, these, as I ask these two questions, you need to know... It's just as if nobody else was in this room and I just asked you. These are the two questions. First question is a question from the king. What's the question? Matthew tells us a little later what the question is. Jesus took his disciples on a little field trip to Caesarea Philippi. And he asked them this question. Who do you say that I am? That's the question. 
Who do you say that I am? Is a question that calls for a confession. Who do you say that I am? God bless Peter. Who so often just opened his mouth to change feet. (laughs) Spoke for himself and spoke for all the Christians of all time. And he didn't recognize it, but he spoke for himself. And what did he say? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because you didn't figure this out. Nobody, flesh and blood, could explain it to you. My Father revealed it to you. And it's on this confession. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not be able to stand up against it. Against what? The confession. Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. That's the truth. And the power is in that truth. It's the power of God to salvation. Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. He is my Savior. That's the confession on which the whole kingdom, the church of God is built. That's the question from the king. It demands a confession. And here's a question about the king. Matthew records it as well. Matthew 27. The king is brought before the Roman governor. The Roman governor sees right through this sham of a trial. This plan to keep power. He sees it all. And then he asks a question. And he didn't understand. Even as a pagan Roman governor, God spoke truth through his mouth. Here's the question. What shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? That question requires a decision. He asked the crowd that day, what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And the howling mob, let him be crucified. My friend, you're going to live your whole life and never have some questions answered. You could be a student of this book, study it for 50 years or more, and sometimes you just feel like you have more questions. But what you need to know is what is your answer to the question? What shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? You know, when people want to argue 
religion with me as I talk to them. They bring up all kinds of topics. I can say, okay, we can talk about that. Got time? Let's talk about that. You want to talk about that? We can talk about that. But can I, can I just tell you something? And they'll say, sure. I said, let's drink all kinds of coffee, especially if it's Dunkin' Donuts. Let's just stay here. <laughs> it's, you know, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's put three houses right here. Let's, let's just stay here at Dunkin'. We can talk about what we want to talk about, but I, here's what I tell them up front. No matter how long we talk about any subject you want to talk about, we're going to come back to this question because it's the question. What are you going to do with Jesus who is called to Christ? You can't deny him. You can't avoid him. And he is saying, who do you say I am? And what are you going to do with Jesus who is called to Christ? Your answer to those questions determines your life. Life now and life for all eternity is your answer to two questions. It's not complicated. Life is determined by your answer to two questions. Jesus is asking you, who do you say that I am? And ringing still from the courtroom of Pilate is the question to you. What are you going to do with Jesus who is called to Christ? We're not told the reaction of the crowd. We're told the reaction, but not the response. But you know what? I saw something this week. Never seen it before. You know what we do so often? And we have to be careful. I try to, I try to teach myself. We get done with chapter 7. We say, wow, Sermon on the Mount. There it is. Matthew said, end of chapter 7. Now chapter 8. Except that's not the way he wrote it. There's no chapter divisions. There's no verse divisions. There's not even commas and periods. <laughs> What's the next thing? The Sermon on the Mount becomes the Sermon on the Move. Jesus starts walking down the mountain. You know what happens? Read it in chapter 8. A leper runs up to him. A man covered in leprosy. And he said, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I am willing. And he was clean from that hour, healed. He went a little further, just trying to get to Capernaum, just down at the bottom of the hill. Before he could get there, the very other end of society met him. Not a leper, but a centurion. A man of authority. And the man said, Master, humbled himself. Made himself meek. My servant is near death. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. No, 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 no. I, I'm not worthy 
that you could come to my house and I know something about authority. I say to someone, they go and they go. Come and they come. You just say the word and it'll be done. And now it's Jesus' time to be dumbfounded. He, He says... I have never seen such faith. No, not anywhere in Israel. Go your way. Your servant is healed. And then Jesus said this. Listen, I say to you in that day, that final day, many will come from the east and the west who have no part of Israel. And they will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now who's shocked? I mean, I just would love to sing the Pharisees. (laughs) What? Gentiles sitting down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And it's like Jesus says, oh, I'm just getting started. And many of you of the kingdom, to whom the kingdom really came, but you would not receive the king, to you will be outer darkness, weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. Who's farther from the king? The one so far away, he doesn't even believe Jesus is worthy. He's worthy to have Jesus in his house. Or the churchgoer who thinks he's doing the king a favor if he comes to church a few times a month and makes a little offering, makes things square. So he and God will be good who's farther from the king you could be sitting anywhere in the church house but with that attitude you're far 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 from the king why because the king's the king And you don't tell the king what you're going to do. He tells you what he's going to do. And you don't tell the king how you're going to have the best life. He tells you how you're going to have the best life. You don't tell the king what kind of road you're going to take to get to heaven. He tells you, no, this is the road that leads to heaven. You don't tell the king you're going to live the way you want to live. And then you're going to stand before him someday. And you're going to get in because you got your get out of hell card. It doesn't work that way. Salvation is Jesus, and he that has the Son has life, and he that does not have the Son does not have life. But the wrath of God is still abiding on him. He's a good king. But he's the only king. Don't play games with him. Run to him. Heavenly Father.
I pray that we will be all like that leper and like that centurion. Poverty stricken as we look at our own lack of righteousness. Beggars when we look at the things that we have done to earn salvation. Desperate, hungry, thirsty to be healed. Just like that leper. Oh Lord, also help us to be like that centurion. A man who had a nice house and a good income. And he managed a lot of people. And he was respected. But he called Jesus master. And a Roman officer humbled himself to a Galilean rabbi because he knew he was the king. Lord, all the ground before Jesus is level ground. And may that be where each of us is found, surrendering all to Jesus. Give us a king-sized response today, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.